0: Steve talked about most. many of us have, even have the scriptures on our phones if we'd only remember to read them. How many read the Parashah for this week? How many read the Haftarah for this week? I'm not even going to ask about the B'rit Shah then. You know, something else Steve said was that God has not made it hard for us to understand who He is. All we have to do is read and learn. We're going to do kind of a, somewhat of a roller coaster ride through the parasha today. I'm going to hit a few different points. I got a head nodding up there from the video mistress <laughs> when she opened her email and saw this list of scriptures that I'll be referring to. Um but she's got it, she's capable, and she'll be able to keep up. You know, synagogues and even our homes have actually been referred to as mikdash me'at, which means little temple or small synagogue. And that's according to the Talmud. In... uh in the Talmud, it says, God will dwell in the holy spaces we create, for they are the temple in miniature. How many of you ever thought about your home being a little synagogue or a little temple? Ah. Okay, how many have thought about this synagogue being a mini-temple, a little temple? In Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 13, the prophet says, as I prophesied, Pelatiah, son of Benaiah, dropped dead. That was the result of a prayer. He said, I fell on my face and cried out with a loud voice and said, Ah, Adonai, are you going to completely eradicate the remnant of Israel? It's a good question. People were, and, and always have, returned to sin, as an alternative if you will to doing what God said to do if he had each prophet or each of the leaders pray for someone to drop dead where would the people be? Who would be left? But God declares in verse 16 though I removed them far away among the nations though I scattered them among the countries yet for a little while I was a sanctuary for them in the countries where they have, been, they have gone. Now, that's the Tree of Life version rendering. In the Hebrew, it reads like this. Which I like the New King James rendering of the translation where it says, Yet I shall be a little sanctuary. For them in the countries where they have gone so God himself is saying he's going to become that little sanctuary and if we want to come to him that little temple that little sanctuary is where we need to turn our focus that's where we need to go we need to go to him so that wherever he is that becomes that little temple that little sanctuary the sages had this understanding of that particular verse. They say it means that God became a mikdash me'at, a little temple, in order to reassure the people that his presence would be with them even during the exile. Some see it as a actually an, another affliction of being in exile because the little sanctuary or the, the small temple... To them is in effect a diminished temple. Doesn't have the same strength, doesn't have the same power, doesn't have the same meaning. Which to them indicated a restriction of God's presence. We know that through the Holy Spirit that's not true. There is no restriction. We can all come freely to the mikdash me'at. The, the small temple. Because that's where God is. Then in chapters, also in Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 17 through 20, God continues with words of comfort when he says to Ezekiel, I will gather you from the peoples and collect you out of the countries where you have been scattered. And I will give you the land of Israel. When they come there, they will remove all of its detestable things and all of its abominations. Then I will give them one heart. I will put a new spirit within them. I will remove the heart of stone stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh so that they may follow my laws, keep my ordinances and practice them. They will be my people and I will be their God. So why does he remove this heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh? He says it very clearly so that they will follow his laws, not follow my laws And I will put a heart of flesh in you, but I'll put a heart of flesh in you so that you will follow my laws. You will keep my ordinances and you will practice them. And then you become his people and he becomes your God. Now, this concept of a mikdash me'at is only temporary. Temporary. And it will ultimately be replaced with success and achievement. It's only ma'at, small, when compared to what the people will be able to accomplish when they are brought into the promised land. None of the things that were going to happen were going to happen until they entered the land. The land of promise is another way of putting it. The promised land is a land of promise. God promised his people a land. They were going to drive out the inhabitants of the land. And he was going to do that by his mighty hand. So, to our parasha. Numbers chapter 8, which was alluded to a little bit earlier and read this morning by Charlene. And in the opening verses, particularly, you don't have these, because I'm not reading it. Verses 2 through 4. Aaron is actually instructed to make and then kindle the menorah. But you'll notice in the parasha, in the Hebrew, even if you look at many translations, unlike the customary word that we use for kindling lights, lehadlik, which means to kindle, we find that the word behalotka is used. And it literally means to elevate or make go up or make rise. Back in Exodus twenty-seven twenty, it referred to the lights of the temple as ner tamid. Which means a perpetual or everlasting light or eternal flame. Even without the temple... The synagogue is referred to as the Me'at or the little temple. And we here have our own Nertamid on our ark. It's a special light that continues to burn whenever we're here. There's room for improvement. Now the lights become symbolic in the synagogue, as well as in our homes. And they're similar to the Tzitzit. Being a reminder for us to keep the mitzvot. Keep the commandments. The lights do that same thing. It's a reminder. When I look at my tzitzit, I remember to keep God's commandments. When I see the ner tamid, I remember to keep the commandments. When the Shabbat lights are lit, lit, it reminds, reminds me to keep the commandments. The Torah has been compared to light. Many places in the Tanakh, in the... In the Psalms, for instance, Psalm 119, beginning at verse 101, it says, I keep my kept my feet from every evil way in order to follow your word. I do not turn away from your rulings, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet is your word to my taste? Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I get discernment. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Through the Torah and, and God's mitzvot or commandments in general illuminate our way, illuminate our ways. They bring enlightenment into our surroundings and, and ultimately to the world as we spread that light. Shabbat and the other Moadim. Or appointed times are usually ushered in with what? The lighting of candles. In doing the lighting of the candles, we are symbolically inviting the light of God into our homes and into our synagogues. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Yeshua said, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will no longer walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. As a result of him saying that, I like to look at Yeshua as our N'er Tamid. Our eternal light. Our everlasting light. Because the light of Yeshua never goes out. We, as people, may fail to let that light shine through us, but His light does not stop. He is eternal. In Numbers chapter 9, we have something that we find is a little bit unusual. Pesach Sheni, the second Passover, the second Pesach. Verses 1 through 5, the Israelites observed Pesach while they were in the wilderness of Sinai. It's clear that they did that because it says that. Moses recorded it for us. And as the Lord instructed Moses, they did it. But in verses 6 and 7, we, we read something interesting. However, there were some men who could not celebrate Passover because of being defiled by a dead body. So they came to Moses and Aaron on that same day. And these men said to him, We have become unclean because of a dead man's body. Why should we be kept from presenting the offering of Adonai at the appointed time with the rest of B'nai Israel? Good question. So, what does Moses do? He says, too bad, so sad. No, he doesn't say that. He actually goes to the Lord and he asks him, okay, how do I answer these men? They have a really legitimate question. So, what did God say? Verse 10, If any man, whether you or your descendants, becomes unclean because of a dead body, or is away on a long journey, he may yet observe Adonai's Passover. It's interesting to me as he added the long journey. because I think of it this way. If I'm on a long journey and it's Pesach, I can observe it wherever I am. But God made a provision for anyone that was away on that long journey. He made a provision for them for this next month, the second month. Now think about it. The circumstances they were in at the time. They were out in the desert. They were wandering, if you will, or they were traveling to the promised land. A land that no one has yet seen. But even through all of that, these men wanted to fulfill the mitzvah of observing Pesach as the Lord ordered. You know, it's not a hard thing for our God to make provisions. He does it all the time. He does it each and every day in our lives, whether we acknowledge it or not. In this situation here, these men, under dire circumstances, they had a legitimate reason why they could not observe Pesach. They were defiled by a dead body. They could have left it alone and understood that they'd be forgiven because they couldn't do the make the sacrifices while they were defiled. They could have left it alone. But no, they wanted to keep God's commandments. So what did God do? He made it happen. But he did place restrictions on Pesach Sheni. And he clarifies it in verse 13 when he says, But the person who is clean and not away on a journey, yet neglects to celebrate Passover, that soul shall be cut off from his people because that person did not present Adonai's offering at the appointed time. That man will bear his sin." So, if someone just wanted, for whatever reason, the 14th day of the first month comes around and I say, ah, I'll wait to the 14th of next month. That's not what God said. You know, maybe next month will be a little more convenient for me. I have a tough schedule this month. You know, I I made a mistake and I didn't schedule that as a a Moed. So I'm not, I can't do it this month. I'll just wait because I know God made a provision. No. For you, there is no provision. God makes it clear in that verse that except for those two reasons, it was sin. Numbers chapter 10. So thought was going to be a roller coaster. In this chapter, we find a familiar passage. If you read the Parsha, you know the passage I'm referring to. Even if you read the Parsha and forgot... It comes near the end of that chapter. We actually recite this in our weekly liturgy. It says, Whenever the ark moved forward or set out, Moses would say, Arise, aronai! may your enemies be scattered. May those who hate you flee from before you. But then there's something interesting. First of all, the ark set out. God goes before the people. But then what would happen was the ark stopped. The cloud, the flame, nothing was moving. So they were supposed to stop. So in verse 36, he co- goes on and says, Uvnucho Yomar Shuvah rivot Alfei Yisrael. Whenever it came to rest, he would say, Return Adonai to the myriad thousands of Israel. So there's God leading them. As they're moving forward, when it's time to stop and rest, God comes back into the camp. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, Adonai, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or abandon you. Do not fear or be discouraged. So what about what did Yeshua say? You know, you, the, the whole thing about WWJD. What would Jesus do? What would Yeshua do? He said in Matthew 28, beginning at verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Ruach HaKodesh teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He doesn't leave. He's our ner tamid. He is our everlasting light. The only way you become separated from Yeshua is when you separate yourself from Yeshua because He doesn't go away. So in those two verses, Numbers chapter 10, verses 35 and 36, we acknowledge that God goes before us, protecting us from danger, and then He remains with us while we rest. Numbers chapter 11. I I call this the, uh, we want meat chapter. See, just when things seemed to be going fairly well, we find that some of the people began to complain about the food that God Himself provided for them to eat. So, in chapter 11, beginning of verse 4, they said, "If we could just eat some meat." We remember the fish that we used to eat in Egypt. By the way, it was fish that you were eating while in captivity. It it, it wasn't like you were free when you were eating that fish. They didn't stop there. The cucumbers. Oh, the fish we ate in Egypt for free. Really? Was it free? You were in hard labor. You actually earned that fish and more. You just didn't get what you bargained for. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Being somewhat of a a, a cook myself, i got no problem with them wanting the leeks, the onions, the garlic. That's some of my basic elements that I use a lot. And they say, but we have no appetite. But now we have no appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Keep in mind that Scripture describes the manna as something that was pleasant to the taste. So it's not like it didn't taste good. They just became tired of it. But Yeshua said something interesting when He was tested by the adversary. In Matthew 4.4, 4, He was quoting Deuteronomy 8.3 when He said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We have that word. We have it to read, to study, to learn from. And guess what? To share. Freely we receive Freely we should share. God responded by giving them meat. But at the same time, he punished them, and many died in a plague. See, when he gave them the meat, it wasn't something it was not necessarily something that was the best thing for them. As we find out after they gorged on it. But because they complained and they said they wanted it, he gave it to them. See, they weren't satisfied with the things he had already provided them with. Things that would benefit them. And they would be nourishing to them because that manna was nourishing to them. That's what gave them the strength to keep on going. But he forced them to suffer the consequences of their rebelliousness. See, they ate the quails like it was the last thing they, on the earth to eat. And they had no control. They ate, he, he talks about it coming out of their nostrils. They ate so much. I mean, I, I've come off many a fast. I've never found myself gorging like that. I can only imagine what they may have been doing. They just were tired of that manna and they had to have the meat. So they made themselves sick. And they received a speedy punishment. Is that really that much different from today? You know, sometimes people see something someone else has, so now they want it. Or maybe they're just not satisfied with what it is they already have. I've I've shared it many a times before about our nephew... When he was younger, about five or six years old, we're sitting in my brother's house, and my nephew just says he wanted ice cream. And his dad said, no, not right now. He said, I need it. Well, that was from his point of view. He needed that ice cream. But he didn't really need it. He wanted the ice cream. Was the ice cream the best thing for Him to have at that point in time? No, because we hadn't eaten dinner yet. But oftentimes we see something and we want it just because we see it. That's not what God wants for us. See, enough in that case sometimes isn't enough. The desire for more is more. God's intention when he led the children of Israel out of Egypt, was to establish them in the promised land as a pure, happy, and healthy people. How did he plan to accomplish that goal? He gave them strict instructions that were designed to establish that discipline. Without discipline, you have chaos. You have a free-for-all. And a free-for-all does not have any order and accomplishes nothing. If only they followed those instructions. only they had listened to what He said. See, there are times when I've heard people say that they heard God speak to them with an audible voice. I don't normally hear an audible voice. I hear the Spirit speak to me, yes. There were times they heard an audible voice from God and they still didn't follow His instructions. They complained so much that Moses threw up his hands. This is the same guy that says, No, don't destroy them because all the neighboring nations will see that and think that you weren't able to save them and deliver them. But just that same guy that threw up his hands and he says, you know what, I'm tired of this people, just kill me, because they're out of control. They're not doing what you're telling me to tell them. Even when I tell them it was you. So he got frustrated. He wanted his life to be ended right then and there. So God made a provision. He said, go get 70 of the elders, bring them, and I'll put some of the Spirit that's in you on them. I will share that responsibility with their leaders. Well, how'd that work out? Let, we continue reading on in the subsequent chapters coming. And you'll see even that didn't make it very far. If they had only followed the instructions that God gave them, it would have had the intended results. And it would have been for their good and for the good of the next generation after generation after generation. Because if God establishes something, it's going to happen. It's going to work. It's going to be accomplished. But when you doubt or when you grumble and murmur and complain, you just delay the inevitable. You're going to either have to submit to what God said or you'll be found in sin and he, you may find out that he's cast you out. In closing, God gave us His Torah, His instructions, His mitzvot, in order to establish them in this world so that we'd be able to have a good life. But the good life is not the end of it. Because within that life, we need to share that word. We need to share those instructions with others so that they will have a good life. As well. Like the Nertamid, the everlasting light, and our Nertamid, Yeshua, let's cause our light to be elevated, to be lifted up, openly and prominently. As Yeshua said, a light, a lamp that's lit and put under a bushel, what good is it? Nobody can see the light. It needs to be open. It needs to be prominent. So others will see the light of Yeshua in us. And that it will be high and lifted up in our lives. Displayed openly, prominently, for all to see. I love it when someone says to me, I see something in you. You're different. Because that means... I am following what He told me to do. I've had to tell other people myself, there's something about you. Especially those that I knew before they came to faith. I didn't know they came to faith and I see them and I see something in them and they will tell me, I accepted the law. Which causes me to rejoice with them that they've come to that point. Especially when I've known some of them a long time and then I now hear them speaking the words of Yeshua, speaking the words of God speaking the words of the Tanakh the Shah the, the and meaning it and living it so be it with us Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob we give you glory and honor because glory and honor is due you Help us to remember that You've given us everything we need in Your Word to live a holy life before You. You've given us everything we need to lead others to come before You and lead that same holy life. Give us boldness to remain in that light and be examples of that everlasting light, that ner tamid. Be examples of Yeshua, Everywhere we go, in everything that we do, let us be recognized as being different. Let us be recognized as having something so that we can explain what that something is. Give us the words to say. Cause our actions to be positive, loving, and accepting. Just like you received us positively accepting us as we are. Thank You, Lord, for Your grace and Your mercy. We thank You because You are always there. It's just us that are sometimes off in the distance. Draw us back to You in those times, Lord, that we can come back and say, I'm sorry, Lord, I I got distracted. Forgive me. Most importantly, Lord, when we pray that I pray that you would forgive us. I pray that your grace and your mercy would dwell in each and every one of us, that you would be with us, leading us and guiding us, directing each and every step by your Ruach HaKodesh, by your Holy Spirit, and reassuring us that we are on the right path. We are on the path of light and not darkness. Thank you, Abba. In Yeshua's name.